Welcome to the Endurance Horse Podcast, where endurance riders from all across the globe gather, sharing their stories, goals, and progress as they train for and compete in endurance events at every level. So kick off your shoes, pull up a chair, and listen as we gather around the virtual campfire and listen to friends from across the world. Hello and welcome to episode 25 of Endurance Horse Podcast. What do you think of when you hear the word Mustang? Is it the iconic Wild West horses running through the landscape? Maybe it's the P-51 Mustang tearing through the skies of World War II. Or maybe the sleek design of Ford's famous muscle car. Well, this month, the cover of Endurance News Magazine is graced with the image of the kind of Mustang that today's podcast is all about. This is an all Mustangs episode of Endurance Horse Podcast. We will hear from endurance riders that cover the miles on their Mustangs. And at the end of the episode, I have an interview with a local trainer who has competed in the extreme Mustang makeover and has trained dozens of Mustangs. There is so much that can be said about the iconic Mustangs that roam the Americas. They have become the symbol and the namesake of one of the most popular American muscle cars known for its beauty, power, and style. Mustang also became the namesake to the iconic P-51 Mustangs that were so heavily relied on in the 1940s. Known for their fierceness in battle as well as their sturdy build and ability to cover long distance. Is it any wonder why? that in 1964, a car company trotted out one of the most popular cars, the Ford Mustang, arguably one of the most recognizable and popular sports cars of all time. Personally, I do believe the appeal of the name chosen had something to do with the success as people know and equate the image of the Mustang with power and freedom. In 1940, the Mustang lent its name to the P-51 Mustang a plane that is famous for its toughness and endurance and fighting for the freedom of the world. The American Mustang is the iconic symbol of freedom, resilience, prowess, resourcefulness, and hardy endurance. For those who may not know, there's a slight controversy about Mustangs. Most believe Mustangs are a blend of the horses shipped to the Americas in the 15th and 16th century. Modern science has proven, though, that there were horses in America as far back as the time of woolly mammoths. They have discovered the remains of horses back in that timeline. And there is no way to prove that horses had been completely eradicated from all of North America. Popular belief in common held history is that the Mustang is a blend of the bloodlines that battled each other during the Civil War, the Revolutionary War, They are the progeny of the first horses to ever plow this great land and feed our country. They are the horses that were set free, turned themselves loose by jumping fences, fleeing the homestead, possibly horses who had survived after battle, maybe even the horse that occasionally turned himself loose from in front of the saloon hitching post. Just like America, the Mustang is a melting pot. One thing that is for certain, once the loosened horses hit the plains running, and began to establish their own herds. It did not take long for many Native American tribes to tame the horses and become excellent at horsemanship. The horse soon became so much a part of the North American landscape and to mean so much to the Native American culture that it is a difficult thing to try to picture tribes without their horses. Today's Mustangs also have running through their veins 
the blood of the horses that were ridden by these great warriors. Today's American Mustangs are struggling, which is hard to believe that since a strong woman, who became known as Wild Horse Annie, fought for Mustangs over 50 years ago. In 1959, the Wild Horse Annie Act, PL 86234, that addressed some of the issues plighting the Mustangs, soon Velma Johnston, also known as Wild Horse Annie, realized that that protection was not enough. It wasn't until 1971, after many more years of campaigning and fighting, that Wild Horse Annie was able to fight for and get the Wild Horse and Burrow Act passed. Wild Horse Annie, Velma Johnston, campaigned much of her life in schools, town meetings, and anywhere she could speak on the subject of Mustang Roundups. Isn't it amazing what one woman with a passion can do? What sparked her to take up this cause? Well, I can tell you. While she was driving to work one morning, she saw an awful sight. Blood flowing from a slaughterhouse-bound truck. The trucks in those days that were used to transport horses to slaughter were wooden slatted, and it was easy to see through the sides of the truck. And the scene that she would see, she would never forget. The truck crammed full of Mustangs, blood flowing out the truck from a yearling that had been trampled to death. Her campaign began for fair treatment of Mustangs with this sight. There is so much I could go on about the history of the Mustang, though I just wanted to touch on some things. I will share in the show notes links on how to adopt Mustangs. I will also share some links about Wild Horse Annie, Velma Johnston, as she also needs to be remembered for risking her own life to stop the severe practices Mustangs faced. And I have to stress to you that politics aside, there are still many Mustangs in need of homes. As mentioned above, when you get your endurance news in the mail for September 2019, look closely. That young rider, her smile, it says it all. And take a close look at that beautiful Mustang that has been carrying her all the way. Without further ado, I bring to you the All Mustangs episode of Endurance Horse Podcast. Hi, this is Melissa Coolidge. You've heard from me in previous episodes about JG Short Stuff and our adventures at Biltmore, among a couple of other rides. It's been a little while since you've heard from me because we just had a baby, so we're very excited about that. In this episode, we'll talk to you about our Mustang, Zero. Zero actually is a horse I got from competing in the must Extreme Mustang Makeover. We did that about um, 10 years ago, so I'll talk a little bit about how I got into that. Right after I graduated from graduate school, I was postdocing at Texas A&M, which has pretty cool infrastructure around it for boarding horses for students. And while I was there, there was a lot there's a lot of trainers, there's a lot of, you know, natural horsemanship people, stuff like that. So I decided that doing a Mustang would be a good idea. Um I probably had no business doing a Mustang at the time. I wasn't really um I just got out of school. I didn't really have any money. Um, but the boarding cost was really inexpensive, and so they made it possible for students to really actually own horses while they're there. 
So all of that was, was, was in my favor, but still it was uh, probably a little bit of a stretch. So I decided to do the Mustang makeover and had signed up. I was kind of, I didn't really think they'd, they'd even let me do it because I didn't think I had the, deep, the depth of horse experience that probably was necessary at the time. And not only did they choose me to do the Mustang makeover, they also, I got called up by some folks and they asked if I wanted to be part of a documentary. Of course, I was like, huh, uh, okay. So I was, and that documentary became a film called Wild Horse, Wild Ride that is actually available on Amazon Prime and Amazon. And that film documents my journey with our Mustang and also about six or seven other people as well. So if you're interested in sort of the process of training a Mustang and what that looks looks like, um, and also the Extreme Mustang Makeover, which is a pretty incredible experience. And it's the program is, um, has evolved a lot since I was involved in it. There's a lot more disciplines, a lot more... You know, at the time, I was probably the only English writer in the whole, in the whole shebang, and now they have you know classes for that stuff. Strongly encourage you to check that out if you want to learn more about the Mustang and the training process that kind of goes into that. So I participated in that program, and then I guess I can talk to you about what happened afterwards. Um, so I would say that you know, in a hundred days, if you were to, for example, if you were to adopt the Mustang out of of a Mustang makeover program. They've got a lot of fundamentals down, you know, but they are, they're still, you know, they're still a green broke horse. So, you know, even after the hundred days, we spend a lot of time um, working on trails and working on different things so that the horse would be more and more solid. It took us probably, so we ended up keeping our Mustang and um, it took us probably a couple years to really be, you know, a reliable horse and rider pair. But once we were, um, Zero is is our safest farm horse that we have. He is so fantastic with children now. You know, we've had him nine or ten years now, but you know, we've had children that will run behind him. You know, when you know, after they've been told not to, and he won't even he won't move. You can't drag him off of his spot if there's a child behind him. So he's a pretty incredible horse, and you know, they say horses like that are worth their weight in gold, and I, I totally totally agree with that. He also will challenge an advanced rider. So I always say he, he rides the level of whatever the rider is. So he's very, very smart and very, very intuitive and likes to be a little tricky. So, you know, you got to watch because, you know, he might lay down in a puddle when you're riding on a trail or do something goofy like that. But, you know, he's, um, he's a pretty good boy um, all in all. So that's, that's zero. We... Uh, have done some endurance with him. Uh, it took us a couple years to get him real healthy. Um, we had we had some issues from early when we owned him with laminitis. Um, I think he may have had some hoof injuries before we got him. Um, so that's something to definitely check out when you're when you're when you get a horse. He was he was a little off when we got him, but of course you know when you're in the in the Mustang makeover competition, you don't get to choose your horse. So in that case. Well, I guess at the time you didn't get to choose your horse. I think now they have competitions where you don't do when you don't. Um, but in that case, yeah, he was a little tiny bit off, and that kind of, as we started looking at endurance, you know, it it wouldn't have been wouldn't have been off enough for like a trail rider, but for endurance, it it wasn't quite there. Um, so it took us a couple years to really get him sound and get him figured out. But once we got him sound, he's he's been great. So 
it just it just took us a while. And mostly it was watching, waiting, and, and, and making sure that he didn't get too much too much grass. We have to dry lot him and feed him hay in the summertime and put him out at like only at night with a grazing muzzle, stuff like that. So he can't tolerate a lot of heavy, you know, heavy grass, but he can have some. Now we're, uh, we're at the point where he's ready to be able to be competed in endurance. Last year he did um, shore to shore with my other horse, Chasmin, as a companion horse. We kind of use him to be the buddy horse when we take younger, naughtier horses out. Um, he, he went on JJ Short Stuff's first ride, a company does there. Um, all of his rides, uh, he's generally very um, solid. He's never been pulled, but he is not the fastest horse. I think we generally, we generally put in like a, you know, a five hour, 25 mile ride. So he's, he goes as fast as he's going to go, but he's solid and he's, um, he's a good boy and he's fun to ride. We're really happy to have him. So I think that he is, he is at one of our future, you know, so now we have our Madeline who just was born a couple days ago. He is, our plan for him is really to be her long-term horse for learning to ride and having a good safe mount to come along on trail with us. So great horse and great experience. I encourage you to check out Wild Horse Wild Ride. It's it's a really good film. And if you have any other questions, please feel free to reach out to me on Facebook or through the podcast. And we'd, I'd be happy to tell you more about Mustangs and my experience with the, um, with the Mustang Heritage Foundation as well. Hello, um, my name is Amber Espinosa. Um, and um, my husband Isidro Espinoza and I do endurance with our Mustangs. So the first question is, how did we first get into horses and riding? Um, both of us grew up with horses. Um, I grew up in Southern California, been riding my whole life, uh, did a lot of hunter and jumpers. And Isidro grew up on a ranch in Mexico um, where they uh, use a lot of uh, mules and donkeys as well as horses. And uh, we actually met in Maryland at the second largest breeding farm in North America called Windback Farm, bred standard bred racehorses. And uh, that's where we met. So the other question, the next question would be, how did we find and stick with endurance as our discipline? Um, and it, it isn't our only discipline, but uh, we kind of fell into it. We, we've been doing uh, training problem horses for a while. We've been in must, involved in Mustang since 2007, but most of our clientele was starting horses and dealing with problem horses. And uh, we had a client basically give up on an Arab, um, I'm doing air quotes here, problem horse that was bucking and rearing and um, they, they had no control over her. Um, and so they basically gave her to us to sell, um, then we would have to give them half whatever she sold for. We had never done anything with endurance. So we actually put a, a good year of training on her and she's turned out to be completely amazing. And we had to be really, really careful like where she went because she's kind of, uh, has a very, um, strong personality. She's an awesome little mare, uh, but in order to promote her, uh, we we were like, we have this endurance era, but we don't know what to do. Well, we just happened to be in Northern California, which is like endurance capital of the country. And so um, people told us, hey, just take her on some endurance rides. So uh, that's what Isidro did. He took her on some endurance rides, just some LDs, um, which is limited distance. And uh, she did phenomenal. Um, and 
and we decided doing that and taking our family there that it was so much fun. Uh, it was like my kids call it horse camping now. So we did that <laughs> and uh, she found her home and she is doing amazing. Um, she's doing 50 miles, milers right now with her person who's got a goal of, um, of getting her up to 100 miles. So um, that was a lot of fun. Then my husband has a, a gated horse that he started doing some endurance with, and I've, I've ridden him a couple times in some LDs as well. But how we got into um, the Mustang endurance part of it um, is a little bit different. Um, but let me answer this next question first. So it says, what drew you to Mustangs? Well, in 2007, um, I decided I wanted to see if I could train a wild Mustang. <laughs> Um, I'd been doing it my whole life. I'm 40 now. Um, and so I went to Ridgecrest Corrals and picked out a two-year-old and I trained him. I still have him. He's, he's incredible. A lot of people know him. His name is Lumpy and I've, I've taken him all over the country and won stuff with him. Uh, he's really, really amazing in like combined trail type stuff, um, and, and, uh, Western dressage. Um, so that's how we got started and we just kind of, um, kept going with it until in 2016, I decided I wanted to do an extreme Mustang makeover. Um, and I did, I went to Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, we did really well. Um, we ended up middle of the pack placing all together and, um, Isidro watched and he was like, I can totally do this. Um, it's kind of definitely what he's already been doing was starting horses under saddle and working with problem horses. And so he entered um, to do uh, Reno 2017 and then um, Monroe, Washington 2017. And he placed top 10 in both of those competitions with his Mustangs. And so he was selected to do the Mustang Magic, which is an invitation only makeover in Fort Worth in January of uh, 2018. Um, and that horse that he drew, uh, his name is we named him Despacito. He came from Ridgecrest. He was known in Ridgecrest as the horse that took off running whenever there was a person near him or anywhere near. Um, and so when he was selected for the magic, the the guys at Ridgecrest were like, um, Lord help the trainer that gets that horse because um, he's a nutball. So that was kind of funny. And so Isidro drew that horse and he's he's beautiful. He's, he's 14 three hands and he's black and um, really, really pretty horse. Um, he trained really well. Um, he did not show well. Um, he was just completely overwhelmed by the environment. The magic is held during the Fort Worth Stock Show and Rodeo. So it's a rodeo happening till like midnight, one o'clock in the morning every day. That's where the horse's stalls are. So it's like loud rodeo. There's people everywhere. There's a fair going on at the same time. It's complete chaos, and Despacito hated every minute of it. When we were, he was going for the sale, um, there wasn't really too many people interested in him. Um, one lady that really was, he tried to bite her, um, <laughs> which he'd never tried to bite anybody. And so I just looked at his sitter and I said, we need to buy this horse back. And I'm like, I bet you he'd make a great endurance horse. We kind of were thinking he would. Um, and so we bought him back and uh, Isidro has two LDs and now a 50 miler and a 55 miler. The 55 miler he just did with him, he uh, placed top 10. Um, he's placed top 10, I think, of uh, uh, three out of the four rides he's done so far. Um, and he's just, he loves it. 
Uh, he just goes out there. He rides him in a halter on, on these rides. And so it's kind of a cool story. He trained him as a makeover horse. We bought him back. Now he's excelling in endurance. Our goal is to do Tevis with that horse. Uh, so hopefully that'll happen. And then uh, the next one was Paloma. And Paloma is a four-year-old mare from, oh, so Despacitos from Reveille HMA in Nevada, which is known as kind of a wackadoo HMA. <laughs> and then Paloma was his 2019, so he just competed with her in January in the Mustang Magic. And she's from Frisco, Utah, which is also known as kind of a difficult HMA. And she's beautiful red roan mare. That was his random draw. They ended up placing fifth at the Magic. And um, I completely fell in love with her. I kind of helped with the training as well. And um, she's, uh, we thought, man, this horse is going to be excellent in endurance as well. So we bought her back. Um, she's only done one LD so far because she's only four. We don't really want to stress her this year. We want to just kind of slowly get her in condition and, and probably compete her more next year. But she uh, came in fourth place in her first um, LD. It was a, I think believe it was a 30 miler. And she just, I mean, was amazing. Um, so those are our two endurance Mustangs that were both makeover horses that um, we trained and are now competing. I'm pretty sure we're the only makeover trainers that train them and compete endurance with them. So what drew uh, me to Mustangs? Well, what drew me was I just wanted to see if I could do it. And then once I trained one, um, they are amazing. I mean, just unbelievable. I, I literally don't have words to express what it's like to train a Mustang and uh, how they think, how they handle themselves, how they interact with people, how they uh, become super loyal. And then um, because of that, Isidro kind of fell into them because uh, I did. And then now he's just, and it, they really fit well with his chord of training style. He's a very quiet trainer. So it says, what do you want other riders to know about the Mustangs and what makes them great endurance horses? So what I think really, really, really makes them, uh, I mean, just above anything else, because we've trained a lot of problem endurance Arabians too, um, and also some good Arabians, but is that they really take care of themselves on the trail. They know when to eat, they know when to drink, they know when they're um, getting pushed to their limit and they need to back off a little bit. They really take care of themselves. And if you just allow them to, it's pretty phenomenal. You don't have to worry about them as much. And then they also, um, I think, just have are just built for it, especially if they spent maybe some time in the wild, really, you know, making their bones strong, their feet are good. Um, they just really tend to stay sound. So um, she says, I have to make this under 10 minutes. So I'm at nine and a half minutes. So I think I covered everything. Um, thank you so much for listening and help letting, allowing us to share um, how much we love Mustangs and how much... Uh, uh, they, they're perfect for endurance. Talk to you later. Bye. Hi, this is 2019, July 22nd, Jen McCabe. How did I first get into horses and riding? I was one of those born horse girls, but we grew up on a soybean farm in Southern Maryland and didn't have a whole lot of resources. And so my access to horses was always through the horse girls at school. So I was friends with the horse girls without really being one of them. Um, every once in a while, I would get on one of their ponies and, you know, bareback or whatever, and they would let me ride around. But I, I took, you know, probably two or three handfuls of riding lessons at the local English barn of between like the ages of seven and, I don't know, 13 or 14. 
but the real access to horses was actually, I was kind of, I guess, destined for wild horses. I wrote, uh, I read Marguerite Henry's Misty of Chincoteague and was fascinated and enthralled um, and wanted to go see those wild ponies. And my mom remembered camping on Assateague in the dunes as a little girl. And so when I read that book, I think it was second grade, and talked to my mom about it, she said, sure, let's go. And she started a tradition, an annual camping trip, uh, her, um, myself and my sister, and then eventually two other school friends would go with us every year. And right after school let out, we would go camp on Chincoteague Island in a campground. And then every day we would drive over the causeway to Assateague Island and we would play at the beach and, and be on the lookout for the wild ponies. And so every summer I got kind of my dose of, of wild horses. And then, uh, you know, life happened as, as it does for, I guess, a lot of us. And it was 25 years before I, I got back into horses. And I was 35. I was living in Las Vegas, Nevada. I'd worked for a tech company there. I'd started a, a factory, and um, the factory was shut down by our board. So it was a pretty traumatic experience. And I had some time for kind of the first time in my life I'd worked since I was 14. I had some time off, and I had some time to think, and I made a kind of a bucket list. And on the bucket list, you know, the top thing on the bucket list was ride horses again. So I looked up a bunch of stables in Las Vegas, and they all seemed like too big or too fancy, and I didn't really want to jump horses. I just wanted, you know, lessons for a beginner adult. And I found, luckily enough, I found a stable, small, private, amazing stable called Bridalwood, run by a lady named Robin with two trainers, Pearlie and Andrina, and called them and said, hey, you know, here's what's up. Here's what I would like to do. And they absolutely welcomed me with open arms. So I went down for lessons. I think I'd had two or three lessons at the barn. And of course, you know, went way before my lesson started to hang out with the horses and stayed way after <laughs> to hang out with the horses and trainers. And it was like I'd never been away from horses. And I just felt completely at home. And so I watched this documentary. I was watching all the like revisiting all the horse movies and, and books that I'd read when I was a kid. So I reread Misty and I happened upon this documentary called Wild Horse, Wild Ride. And it's about uh, the Mustang Heritage Foundation's program with the BLM where Mustangs are assigned to trainers. Trainers have 90 days. Amateurs and professionals trainers have 90 days to train the Mustang and then they take it to a competition. And at the time there were there was only one competition. It was in Fort Worth, Texas. And I was you know, if you've never watched this movie and you're either a Mustang person or you think you might be one, you absolutely owe it to yourself to watch Wild Horse Wild Ride. And I'm friends with some of the trainers today that were featured in that that movie, which is the most incredible thing because the Mustang family really is a small, tight family of people. And if you're a Mustang person, you know, and your Mustang finds you, the Mustang family will find you too, and they'll support you through the challenging times that you might have with your Mustangs. Um, and, and the triumphs, you know, they'll be for, there for the challenges and the triumphs. So anyway, I looked up the event, and it was like two weekends from when I watched the documentary, and I was like, holy cow, you know, I have to go to this. So I booked myself a flight, you know, I got on, uh, booked myself a hotel and a rental car, and I flew out to Fort Worth. You know, I packed my boots, uh, I packed my cowboy hat, 
and uh, had no intention of adopting a Mustang, but just in case, I had already talked to the ladies at Bridalwood, you know, kind of half joking, like, hey, if I find a horse, you know, would you guys help me with it? And they were like, yeah, sure. Uh, none of us had worked with Mustangs before. <laughs> um, and anyway, I didn't really have the intent to adopt a horse. I knew I have like no skills, you know, I hadn't even loped a horse. It, it was just crazy. And um, the Mustang that I ended up adopting had other ideas about that. And so I went a day early and I walked in, I think the competition was Friday, Saturday, or Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then you take your horses home on Sunday. And I think I arrived on Wednesday night and the trainers were all bringing their Mustangs to check in. And they were still pretty wild. Like the horses were still, I was like, Ooh, man, they did not act like domestic horses that I had been around. They didn't really know things and they were afraid of, of things. And they were powerful and uh, frightening and, and, and fascinating and beautiful. And so I walked around and I met as many of the trainers as I could. I watched what they did. I watched how they interacted with each other and the horses and just kind of soaked it all in. And um, then I walked the stall aisles. So I was around, you know, for hours that night. And then as most of the trainers were leaving, you know, to sleep in their campers, or their hotels or wherever, their trailers, after they'd taken care of their horses for the night, I walked the stall aisles pretty quiet and basically alone and looked at all the horses and only a few of them would even come anywhere close to the end of the stall aisle where people could walk by and I was thinking wow this is like this is incredible that these people do this and that these horses do this and then I walked down one of the last aisles and this tiny black nose peeked its <laughs> peeked itself up and kind of pushed itself through the bars at the top of the stall and I kind of peeked over and it was this tiny black Mustang and I looked at the stall card and it read Lil Blackie um, and the trainer Robin Swinea and had like a picture of this horse from Antelope Valley, Nevada and he looked like a, a foal basically, like a, lo like a long yearling, like he was tiny, he was like 13 hands and skinny and like, uh, there, but there was undeniably something about him and so I reached over with my hand, kind of, you know, looked, looked both ways, kind of gave the nose a pat. And then, you know, the nose kind of made a scrunched up happy horse nose. And then I leaned in and I breathed in um, with the horse, it, like breathed next to his nose. And he made this soft sound. Um, and I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And then I like turned and looked at him and I went to walk away down the stall aisle and I heard this little whinny. Um, and I look back and it's the tiny black horse, the little blackie, like whinnying for me. And uh, long story short, you know, that horse has had me wrapped around his hooves ever since. That horse is now my, my horse, Odin, um, Elko's Eye of Odin. Um, he picked me and it, it was pretty, the bond from that moment on was pretty much undeniable. And I was hooked. So I walked back to the stall and I just stayed there. I put a hay bale, dragged a hay bale over and sat down next to it to wait for his trainer to come back. And she did, Robin. She's a real cowgirl um, and she raises uh, show sheep and goats and does stock rodeo. And uh, she's a big girl and he's a tiny horse. So he had three rides on him before the makeover and he had, he had an additional three on him at the makeover. And I basically became their groom. So I would you know, feed Odin, clean his stall, or little Blackie, excuse me, at that time, um, clean his stall, you know, help tack him up, get him, get him all groomed up. 
and you know, I would sit outside a stall and like nobody was going to get away with my horse. <laughs> it was already, it was already like everybody else back off. Um, <laughs> this one's mine, which there was no competition for him because he came in dead last in every class at the makeover and tried to buck Robin off in every single class. <laughs> but because she was a big girl and he was so small, he was unsuccessful. Um, so that was, that was, that was my introduction to Mustangs. And, and the second night of the, the competition, I was tired. Odin was tired. Robin was tired. And, you know, so Robin went back to the hotel after taking care of the horses. And I was sitting down in the corner of Odin's stall on the shavings and like with my back propped into the corner, my legs out in front of me crossed reading a book. And he came over and he folded his legs under him and he laid down and he put his nose on my leg and he fell asleep like that. And I was petrified. Oh my gosh, is this like a dog? You can't get up, you know, like, what do you do when a wild pony falls asleep on your leg? And uh, one of my good friends, Kathy, uh, my Mustang sisters, um, she was there with her her husband um, and her daughter, and they were competing. uh, And she said, oh, honey, you know, you're you're done. Like, that horse, you know, has your heart. And she was right. (laughs) She was absolutely right. Hi there, my name is Andrea Maitland and I ride endurance Mustangs. Um, I've always been a horse crazy kid and have been riding my whole life, but I didn't get my first horse until I was in my 30s. And up to that point, I, you know, I dabbled in hunters and jumpers and dressage and trail riding, but I'd always been fascinated by Tevis, like a lot of us are. And the sport of endurance riding in general, it just looked so epic and crazy and cool that I knew one day I absolutely needed to do endurance. Um, I didn't know if I could though at the time because um, I have rheumatoid arthritis and at the time my knees were totally shot um, and so I could ride in the arena but doing anything that would require posting for hours on end um, was definitely out of the question. But I ended up getting double knee replacements a few years ago and decided I wasn't getting any younger and my Mustang mare Lily who was my first Mustang and it was 13 she wasn't getting any younger either so if I was going to do this endurance thing I'd better start so we did our first LD in 2014 and she did great and I thought I was going to die because I didn't take care of myself and was exhausted at the end Um, but then I did another LD a couple months later and quickly figured out that eating and drinking and taking care of myself was really a good thing. And I loved it and had a blast and I was hooked at that point. Um, And I quickly moved up to 50s and then some 75s. And then Lily and I completed our first one day 100 in 2018. Um, And then later that year, last year, we started Tevis. We got 68 miles to Forest Hill and then I pretty much keeled over from heat exhaustion. Lily was fine. She didn't care about the heat at all, didn't care about the canyons. She was perfect, Um, but I thought I was going to die, so that was the end of our day. But this year, we're going back again. Um, I'm going to crew this year, and she's going to be ridden by a very experienced Tevis rider, and uh, I have no doubt that they will do awesome, and um, they'll have a great time, and I'm looking forward to being a uh, proud soccer mom as I crew my horse through uh, Tevis this year.
but kind of back to um, the other Mustangs that I have in my current herd. Um, in 2015, you know, I was so excited by having one great endurance Mustang that uh, a friend of mine who is a Mustang trainer out in Arizona, she said I needed to get a second one. So I got um, Wyatt Earp. He's a, he was a four coming five-year-old gelding at the time. And he quickly established himself over the next several years once he got um, some legging up and I had taken him for his first couple LDs and he did great. But he established himself as pretty much Arizona's catch horse and, uh, and green bean catch horse. So I've, um, he's taken, I think, 12 different riders through endurance rides. Most of them have been first-time riders, either first-time completely, never done an endurance ride before, um, or first-time moving up to a 50, or sometimes both at the same time. Um, and he's taken a couple juniors, and he's just awesome. He's super calm and is just uh, the perfect horse to learn endurance on for a green bean. And he's currently, he has been stolen by my junior rider who's been riding him all year. And um, she's done her first 50 on him and she'll probably continue to ride him for the foreseeable future. So I don't think I'm getting him back anytime soon and, they're, and they are doing great. Late last year, I got a third Mustang kind of slated for endurance. She's a little four-year-old mare named Stormbreaker. And she is just sweet and cute and tiny in a little blue roan and is just the nicest little pony. And I love her to death. And we're having a ton of fun doing just long, slow distance. because um, She's only four. She'll be five in January. And she's doing great. She's just a natural trail horse, loves it. And um, we're hoping to do her first LD um, later this year after the summer. So I have three of them. And I've was drawn to Mustangs, not the least amount of reasons was the economics of them. When I first started getting into horses and having my own horses, you know, horses, they're an expensive hobby. And I wanted a horse that was sound and hardy and I could potentially limit some vet bills, eliminate some farrier bills, a horse that could go barefoot. And by and large, that's been the case. I always joke that my Mustangs are pretty much nearly indestructible and uh, have had very few in the way in the, you know, vet bills and all of that kind of fun stuff. So uh, I do now spend a small fortune on composite shoes, but at the time going uh, barefoot was a great thing. And so when I got Lily, I just, I fell in love with her brain and her work ethic. She tried so hard all the time, no matter what I tried to do, we dabbled in all kinds of different events and she was just wonderful. And she would go out and, you know, do a jump course and then give beginner trail riding lessons or beginner uh, riding lessons um, the next, you know, the next day. And all three of my horses have been just great work ethics, great, great brains. They can all be ridden by kids. Even my little four-year-old, I'd have no qualms about putting a... Uh, a beginner or a junior rider or a kid on her and taking her out on a trail ride. Some of the other things that uh, that I've looked for, you know, with the caveat that every horse is an individual, but my experience with Mustangs as endurance mounts specifically is that they're very sure-footed, they're super sound, they're tough as nails, they're natural out on the trail, and they tend to take care of themselves really well. They eat well, they drink well, um, they do it out on the trail, you know, they're, they are very good at making sure that they're taken care of out there. 
Um, all three of mine are non-reactive for the most part. They really think first if they encounter if they encounter anything new or strange or or scary, and very rarely um, react strongly. Um, and when they do, it's usually very appropriate to the situation. Um, you know, they don't teleport sideways or spin and bolt. You know, it has to be a pretty significant scary object or scary thing out on the trail. And in general, most things out on the trail, they don't even flick an ear at. Um, they just, they're super good at just going down the trail and, and not really reacting um, to things, which is great. I can walk all of them out on a loose rein at the beginning of an endurance ride. They just, they know what their jobs are and they're great. I don't, I, I trust them com completely to take care of me. Super soundness, that's I think is, is one of the best Mustang traits out there. Of the 3,000 miles that uh, my two uh, main endurance Mustangs have between them, I've only had one lameness pull and that was essentially just from a bruised heel from um, an accidental overreach. And so, you know, they really are very good at, at not getting hurt. They've never come up lame on conditioning rides. They've never gotten puffy legs. They've never, you know, really taken a foot wrong. They just do awesome. And I have pretty rocky and hard Arizona trails that, that I ride on. And they're just natural on that technical terrain, especially my two girls. The uh, two mares are lighter built than my gilding Wyatt. He's a little bit bigger. He's the size of a small draft horse. Um, and so he's not quite as nimble as the girls are, but they're all super sure-footed and really good at, at packing riders on some, some pretty tough and technical terrain. Most Mustangs are not gonna be your first choice if your goal is to top 10. There are definitely some fast ones out there. There were two that came in top 10 in Tevis last year and one won the Hagen Cup. But in general, you know, Mustangs are not going to be as fast, but they're going to get you safely down the trail. They're going to get you over the finish line. They're going to, you know, take care of you by taking care of themselves while they do it. So uh, my recommendation is, you know, for someone who is interested in Mustangs, uh, kind of do what I did and get ones that have already had training. I'm training a Mustang straight from the wild. It's not for the faint of heart. And you won't necessarily know what their true personality is because a wild horse is going to be more reactive, obviously, than a domesticated horse. But if you get a horse that's already been in captivity, been with a trainer for a little bit, you're going to know what that personality is. Um, and then you can work with a dedicated Mustang trainer to you know, find the right Mustang that's the right for you, for your riding level, for your experience level. There's lots of Mustang trainers out there. Um, some of them are in endurance. We have, um, you know, a couple that are doing really well in endurance that also train Mustangs. And so, um, you know, when, when I'm looking for a Mustang and all three of mine, I bought the brain first. Um, I don't care how athletic or talented a horse is. If the brain isn't there, you know, I don't want something that's reactive or super tough. I can, I can help that horse get down the trail um, you know, put more put more go in that horse. I would rather have a good brain first. So that's the things that that I've looked for, and I've been really fortunate that all three of mine are awesome trail horses. Two of them are 100 mile horses, and I'm hoping that little storm will follow in her big brother and big sister's footsteps, and also be a super solid endurance horse as well. So overall, I totally recommend Mustangs as endurance mounts. They're awesome. They're great. They're tough and they're a lot of fun to ride. So um, I'm happy to answer any other questions. If anybody wants to reach out to me um, via, via Facebook, um, I'm always happy to chat Mustangs and endurance with anybody who wants more information. And that's my story.
Hi, my name is Valerie Jaquis. I am the proud owner of Haas, a 15-year-old BLM Mustang. He's branded. He's from the Devil's Garden area. I first got into horses. I always loved them as a child, and I had pictures, and I had briar horses, and I would draw, and my parents sent me to horse camp with the Girl Scouts every year, and I would ride every summer. And we would rent horses and go ride. And I didn't get my first horse until I was in my 20s. Um, I did finally get an Arab and start endurance. He was my first endurance horse, although he never did more than limited distance rides well. Hossa was my second horse, um, and he was the first one to start doing 50s with, and I've never looked back. He's been a really great horse. And I really enjoy endurance because it's, it's just doing the same thing kind of over and over again. For some reason, that works well for me. And it's easy for me to do something where I just put my head down and keep going. Haas was brought to me by my trainer who found him at another client's place where he was sitting, um, not doing anything. He'd been gentled but not broken in. And she saw him and her first thought was that that was a horse that I should have. And I was able to pick him up. It took her 11 months to break him in for me. But once he was broke, he's turned into a very reliable horse. Mustangs, generally, my observation has been that they are gritty in a way that most captive bred horses simply aren't. For instance, Haas, when he was in a pen and he, he had run out of water, he was perfectly confident that he was going to have water at some point and that I would come take care of it. While the horse that was with him was terribly upset that they had run out of water, their tank had broken and drained. So I find them to be very determined and instead of asking what they can do for you, they more or less, they want you to explain to them why they should do what you want. You less get what are we doing then why are we doing this and they're very um, determined animals and once you have their trust it's like they'll just do anything for you they will try they will put all their effort into it and i've really enjoyed having Haas and our over 4,000 miles together now he's been very consistent and i can rely on him at any time i can throw it ranked beginner on him to go for a ride. I He has introduced several people to endurance riding by going out and being their first endurance ride horse. So I really appreciate him. And of course, he's my only Mustang, so I really can't say much more about them. But thank you for the opportunity to share our story. What made you get interested in your first Mustang? Was it because it was free or because you wanted Mustangs? Because I was a teenager, and I think my parents went for the aspect of a free horse. They had no idea, and I had no idea, and it was a free horse. And what was your dream as a teenager? Well, to have a horse, of course, any horse. It didn't matter. So, And I got, I've been begging a horse for a horse my whole life since I could talk. And when I was 15, somebody offered up a... Palomino horse, older, and it was between me and another girl, and in the end, the other girl got the horse. So then my parents had said yes the first time ever in my life. They said, yeah, you could have a horse instead of, you know, yeah. trying to change my mind about anything else. And uh, 
So then I'm like, well, since I can't have this horse, can I have this horse? And it was an ad in a magazine, Horse and Rider magazine, for uh, um, uh, BLM was adopting out wild horses. At that point, they were free. You could never own them. And uh, um, so it was a new program. It had been out for a year or so. And they said yes. They said yes, which I think was, I look in hindsight, and, oh, my parents were fools. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you've told me a little bit about the story of when you went to get mud, but I think it's hysterical. I think you need to say, now they have regulations where you have to have a certain kind of trailer and a certain oh. kind of corral and a certain kind of this. So what happened when you went to get your very first 15-year-old barefooted Mustang wild horse? Well, I filled out the paperwork and sent it in, and a friend of mine, she got, we filled them out about the same time. I filled mine out actually ahead of hers, my paperwork, and she got her horse. And then I got a letter back saying I needed to far travel farther than California or Nevada. And we're like, what? You know, we know yeah. there's, so, there's no reason to. So I thought, so I called her up and I said, how did you get your horse? And she says, oh, they have a satellite adoption center in Escondido. So we called up, got the number called up, and they had just got a load of like 60 or 80 horses the day before and come and, and get one. So we went down there and looked at them. And my dad wasn't there, it was me and my mom, and my dad said, get a mare. <clears throat> so they didn't care at that time, he just took a horse if he took a horse, and they were straight off the range. She'd only been off the range like a month or so. And so she was a sack of bones. And here was all these horses, and me, 15 years old, I could have one. <laughs> and of course, all the colorful ones were going like hotcakes. There was a buckskin and a black horse going in the trailer when we arrived. Uh -huh. And so I walked around and around, and the horse that I ended up getting was in a pen with mares with babies. And um, they kept saying, why don't you take that one? Because they had taken her baby. It was at six months old, they wean him, and her baby was right there at five or six months. And somebody wanted her baby, so they took her baby. So we, we didn't see her baby was gone when we got there. And uh, um, so she was fighting with the other mares in the pen. And I walked around the pen, and I looked at some other horses. And after a couple hours, I'm like, I gotta pick something. And the people kept saying, well, take that one, take that one, because she was being a pain. And so uh -huh. I said, fine, I'll take that one. <laughs> so And then you loaded her So into we came the next day with our station wagon, and we borrowed a two-horse straight load trailer from a friend and backed up to the chute. It took them probably 20 minutes, half hour for to get hurt. My, my wild horse, completely wild horse, they put a halter on and gave her a vaccination in the chute, and then they put her in the little shoot line to go into the trailer and she went and put her front feet in the trailer but she wouldn't do the back feet and they were doing the whole little this was before the flags with uh -huh. sticks and stuff to encourage her and she would kick and kick and kick and finally after forever she jumped in they slammed the door shut and, and you so, took her home. so then we started driving home and you drive down this little gravel road before you get on the pavement and we hadn't gone very far and of course my nose was glued to the back window of the car and I said, Dad, something's wrong. Something's not right. So he pulls over and looks. The middle divider had come loose and had fallen on top of her. So now I have a wild horse in a two-horse trailer with a divider thing on her. And how old are you? I was 15. And, of course, my dad was going to let me go in there. So he crawled in there and picked up the divider and gave him some bailing wire. And he wired, bailing wired the divider back in place. And we hauled her home. <laughs> So tell me all the things that you did with Mug once you, how long did it take you to break Mug? Training her, I know I was petting her within a week, and probably, I, I'm going to guess about three months and I got on her. 
Uh-huh. And he's riding her bareback. I got bucked off one time over her head. And I think other than that, it went pretty smoothly. And what all sports did you do with it? Uh, everything under the sun. <clears throat> Trail trials and, and lots of gymkhanas. She was really good at gymkhanas. A good jumper. I don't know about a hunter horse, but a good jumper. Any jumping contest we entered, she won because she was fast and she could hit the jumps at an angle and she never knocked a rail. And that was really fun. cool. So how'd you ever end up with, in endurance with her? Because you just wanted to ride longer? Well, no, I just, I was riding. I just rode and I was out um, riding one day on a trail and a couple people caught up to me, a man and a lady, and they said, are you an endurance rider? I said, what's that? <laughs> And so I started checking into endurance, and it, at that time in the 70s, it was like this secret sport. And uh, it was really hard to find out. It took a lot of years to find out. They had an endurance ride about four or five miles from where I lived, so I rode to it, and I watched it. And uh, I saw a lot of the horses, a lot of gray horses. A lot of horses were skinny. You could see their ribs. And I thought, if you have to do that to endurance ride, I don't think I want to do it. And I was amazed. Those people were riding 25 miles and 50 miles. Wow, I can't ever do that. Not realizing I was already doing it. <laughs> <laughs> so I just, I just like, right, you know, spending a lot of time with my horse, and that's a good excuse to spend a lot of time with your horse. And so that's what you did. That's what I started doing. And why have you stayed with it all these years? Because I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and you like spending a lot of time with your horse, don't yes. you? Yes. And it's and, and seeing all the different country. Why I liked endurance rides after I learned about it was, you can do what you want. You can go fast, you can go slow, you do what you want to. It's not, there's not all these rules about you have to do this and that. I've done showing and I don't like all the rules and the things you have to do and all the primping on your yeah. horse. I like my horse to be a horse. And uh, endurance, you get to see all this country that you don't normally get to see. I've been amazing places, ridden in New Mexico across private ranches where the public can't ride. and you know, out in wilderness areas, and I've ridden the Pony Express Trail, and all these amazing things I've seen that other people will never get to see, because I was in the right place at the right time to see these amazing things with my horse. How cool. Hey, this is Jen McCabe again, sharing more about my endurance adventures with Odin, the Antelope Valley Mustang. Odin is how I got back into horses and riding. Basically, you know, they, there's a saying about green horses, green riders equals black and blue. And I've, I found that to be true, especially when you have a really spirited, not easy Mustang. Um, but Odin and I have a bond that's undeniable and it's gotten us through a lot of tough times and we'll continue to do so. And that, that's one of the unique things about Mustangs. There are plenty of Mustangs that will work with multiple people, you know, that will be really good with lots of folks that are, they're either very stoic in personality, you know, they're just strong-willed, they know themselves, and so, you know, whoever can ride them, or they like people, they're genuinely interested in people. Um, my friend Andrea's horse, Wyatt, is one of those, like, he's just a happy Mustang, he's a happy guy. He likes having friends, he likes following his sister, Lily, at rides, like, he is a, an amazing horse for lots of people to ride because he's just that that temperament, that personality. Um, that's not my horse, Odin. He's, he's the, the kind of Mustang that has one person only, ever, pretty much. And that, you know, I'll be successful with him or, or not, but nobody, pretty much nobody else will. And I had enough experience trying to get other people to help us train to realize he's not going to 
basically he's not going to be a successful horse with anybody else working with him. I have to increase my athleticism and skill level to be equal to or greater than his. And so our, you know, this is our fifth year together. Our, our five years have been me making a bunch of mistakes and then learning how to fix them because yeah, I'm his trainer, I'm his person, and it's my responsibility to do that. And, and I've made a lot of mistakes. Um, as a first-time horse owner with a green, challenging Mustang, Odin's HMA Antelope Valley is kind of notorious for having these small, darker horses. Uh, again, there are certainly exceptions, but they're feisty. Um, a lot of the Mustang Heritage Foundation trainers won't work with that, this HMA. They'll return the horses because if they don't like you, it's just not worth the fight, basically. But And Odin and I, have our, we have our conversations, for sure, to this, to this day. Um, on our first 50, I actually remember riding by Lori McIntosh and uh, Carlita Roberts at a, at a lope where I'm holding Odin back at, at a lope. We're, we're riding through like 55 mile an hour winds in the middle of the desert in Death Valley with jets buzzing us overhead. And most of the calm, experienced endurance riders are walking or trotting. And Odin is just like on the reins, ready to go. And I, finally, I just... I just let him go uh, for, and he loped for eight or 12 miles. And I realized we were probably going too fast when we caught up with the top 10 riders, the fifth, sixth and seventh riders in the 50. And I was like, Whoa, no, 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 no. We need to be middle of the pack, back of the pack, 50 riders. Like, and then I got off and gave Odin a break. And then we, we rejoined the lady that we started riding with Val, who I hope will give you a, an interview about her Mustang Haas. Um, but I remember Lori sat looking at me and kind of shaking her head and saying, you've got your hands full. And I went, yep, yes, ma'am. And that's, that's pretty much a good description of my relationship with Odin. He is an amazing, amazing, amazing horse. And um, the reason that we are in endur endurance riding now is because just like he picked me, he basically picked the sport. Uh, we tried a little bit of everything. Um, I thought I would just have this fancy little Western pony that would do, you know, maybe some cowboy dressage. And like we would have some tame ring rides and maybe like some long horse camping rides and trail rides, but that would be it. Our first ride outside of a round pen was an extreme cowboy race, which if you don't know about that sport, that's like an obstacle course on horseback. And I went to that not with the intent to ride, um, because we were so inexperienced, but just with the intent to expose Odin to, and myself to a bunch of different things and friends were going. So I felt supported and we ended up riding in the round pen. I spent all day working with him the day of the race. We started with groundwork and for hours in the morning, we were up before everybody else. We were dragging barrels. We were stepping over poles. We were going under curtains. Um, we were doing every obstacle I could. I was roping his legs. We were doing every obstacle I could think of. Then I hopped on him in the round pen before the competition. Then we rode in the barn aisle before the competition. And people were just starting to get up and groom their horses. Then we rode around the perimeter of the barn. Then we sat and we watched the competitors warm up. Then we sat next to some competitors as they had their, their goes on the course. And, and at that point, we'd watched horses do it. And I learned that Odin learns really well from watching other horses, more so than I can teach him. And so we gave it a go and we did it. We completed both courses that day. On the second course, I, I felt I had a pretty spectacular fall, but in cowboy racing, you have 60 seconds to get back to your horse, get back on if no one's touched the horse and finish the course, which we did. Um, and from then on out, it was like, okay, we can do this together. Like we'll make mistakes, but we can do this together. But he made it very clear 
uh, by bucking me off several times that he was not a huge fan of arena riding and those disciplines. And then I noticed that when we started riding out on trail with really solid friends on really solid horses, including one of our really good friends, Annie, and her Mustang Wild Bill, um, we, we loved trail. Both of us just relaxed out there, and it was like our breath came easy, and we, we didn't have to think about what we were doing. We just kind of went. And so then as we got more and more trail riding in, uh, we were not getting tired and lots of our friends were like, they didn't want to do more than a mile or, or three at a walk with a little bit of trotting, right? And we were just like ready for more. So we were introduced to a lady named Jody Wyatt, an endurance rider um, in our area who rides an Arabian mayor named Amira Bay. And these two ladies were awesome to us. They were high energy, um, you know, these crazy cool ladies who wanted to go out and do like five to eight miles uh, in an hour and a half, right, or less, and um, in our local parks, you know, in all weather. So we started meeting up with Jody for regular, what became regular weekly training rides, basically. And Jody kind of sidestepped us into endurance. She would have us, you know, she taught me how to do pulse and respiration and vital checks. Uh, we would get on and we would do our ride, mostly at the trot with some loping, some walking, and uh, in all weather with a uh, thousand to 2000 feet elevation gain. And, and then she would have us do a trot out and a simulate a vet check when we were done. So we basically learned from Jody, even though she was not an official AERC mentor, um, she is just a, a regional person who took us under her wing and obviously became our, our friend and mentor. Um, Jody and Amira really taught us how to ride endurance. And when we were riding 12 miles with them easily and recovering well, you know, Odin had excellent heart rate recoveries down in the 30s or 40s um, pretty fast, you know, within five to 10 minutes after, after completing the ride. Jody said, okay, you're ready. And there, we'd been training for about three and a half months with her. And there was a local endurance ride, uh, Quicksilver, um, put on by the Quicksilver Endurance Riders in California. And we signed up for it. And I went out um, to the actual park where it was going to be held with another really experienced, amazing endurance rider, Nick Warhol. Um, and Nick took us out on the course and kind of, you know, was kind of checking us over. Like, are you guys ready for this? And we did, I think we did 15 miles that day and he kept kind of checking on me and Odin and, and seeing how we were doing. He was like, yeah, you're definitely ready at the end of that ride. So, um, and the great thing about going out on these rides with folks like Jody and Nick is you talk about horses, you talk about life, you talk about endurance. And if you're, if you're quiet and you ask good questions and you're respectful, you learn so much from these people who are willing to give you what they know. And I've just had amazing experience with people doing that with us and for us um, in endurance and, and in none of the other horse sports, with probably the exception of cowboy racing, because those are a great group of people that, again, even though they're competing, they're the friendliest group of people you've ever met. And it's the same thing with the Mustang family. Even though these trainers are competing against each other, they're the friendliest group of people you've ever met. And once you're in the family, you're in the family. Um, and so anyway, yeah, we, 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 went with endurance because Odin loved it. So we did Quicksilver and I was kind of shell-shocked. I, we rode with uh, Jennifer Perryman. We had the good fortune. She was rehabbing her horse roaster after an injury. So she was willing to go completely slow and take a, a complete noob, uh, you know, under her wing and ride with us because for the first three and a half years I had Odin, I didn't ride him alone. Uh, yeah, we were just, we were that new and things were that risky. So my skills, skill set was not great. Um, and I, we, I've just kind of been building it as, as we go, um, to build along with my horse as we've 
we've done more and more things. So anyway, we went out with Jennifer. Our, I think I took like an hour and 45 minutes at our, our vet check because Odin wouldn't eat or drink. He was so fascinated with watching the other horses come in and, and out. And I was like, ah, eat, you know, oh my gosh. And finally he relaxed and ate and drank a little bit. And then we went back out on the course. But like, that was a disaster. We were, we were almost over time on our limited distance ride. You know, we were second to last. We were almost hurtling. Um, but the good news is I learned on that ride that Odin is a horse who will have negative splits. So he almost always knows when you turn around magically, like, or when you're headed back to camp, even if it's an out and back ride or an out ride, he somehow always seems to know when you're on, when you're on that like last half of the ride and he kicks into completely another gear. So he did that at Quicksilver and we had negative splits. So we were faster returning on the second half of the ride than we were going out on the first half. We made up some time and uh, had a blast. I felt like I was going to die the next day. Um, Odin was still a pretty small guy. So our Quicksilver ride was in 2016. So Odin was, yeah, so he was six um, at the time. He had just started gating. We just figured out that he had a gate. So he had a four beat and a, a pace, um, which he, he'll switch into that gear if he's tired of loping to keep up with longer legged Arabs. So that was really nice to discover he had a gait, which is super smooth to ride. I actually even like his pace. It's really nice and smooth and feels like you're on an elliptical trainer. <laughs> and so anyway, yeah, we completed Quicksilver in 2016. Then we did one ride in 2017. So we did the limited distance ride at 20 Mule Team uh, with uh, our friend Jen Joins and her amazing mayor, Keach, before Keach was retired uh, from endurance with, well, from the, the longer distances at endurance with some crazy respiratory issues. And I hooked up with Jen on, in the Green Bean group on Facebook because we were both super nervous about going to this ride. And, and both of us are not, uh, we're not, um, we're, I would I'll say we're pretty bold ladies. And, and there are things about endurance that scare us. So we, we immediately connected and hooked up and had an amazing ride together. We just barely made it in in time. I think we had, eight, you know, eight hours to complete or seven and a half hours to complete. And our completion time was like seven hours and 28 minutes. Uh, we turtled. We had crazy stuff on that ride. I was still riding in a 65-pound working Western saddle with cowgirl boots, and I had put on, I was freezing, so I put on yoga pants, and the yoga pants kept, like, twisting up over my boots all the way up over my knees. So Jen has these pictures of me, like, leaning over and pulling my pants down. It looks like I'm riding in shorts. It was just, there were things about that was just like, oh my gosh, it was a disaster. Um, and, and we took a wrong turn. So we added, I think, I don't know, three or four miles. So we probably did closer to 40 miles. Um, we, on our way back from the vet check there, it's a good thing we got along. That's what you'll discover in endurance. You'll discover your friends real quick. Cause if you can ride for the first time with somebody for eight or nine hours, spend, you know, 10 to 12 hours together and, and, and be friends at the end of it, you're going to be friends for life and your horses will too, hopefully. <laughs> Hi, this is Chris. I am talking today with TJ Cliborne, who is originally from Australia, but now he's an American, and he trains Mustangs. And I thought it was appropriate to interview TJ for the Mustang episode of Endurance Horse Podcast. So how did we meet TJ? Oh, we met a lot of years ago. <laughs> Over a horse. <laughs> Over a horse. We've, been, we've known each other now for... Since Red. Since Red, which was... 2012, yeah. Red was probably one of the three best Mustangs ever trained and some of the best pitches you ever took. 
She was very photogenic. I started with Mustangs in 2008, and they've gone on now. I think this is my 15th competition I'm in this year, and then I've probably done 100-odd Mustangs right now, trained them for different people. That's a lot of Mustangs since 2008. And how did Red do that year? Red was reserve champion. I think she should have won it, but that's beside the point. So um, if people don't know, the Extreme Mustang Makeover is what? You have how long? We have 90 to 120 days. It just all depends on the prize money of the challenge. And then you've got to go and compete with everybody else. Uh, the most I've had is 300 contestants in the one challenge. So I think we've got close to 15 thousand horses adopted through this program which is very good which is very good it is very good and we can't talk to you and not talk about choke so you'll have to tell us about your little mare choke choke and i she was my computer drawer in 2009 and the night i got her home there was three of them on board the trailer choke was the first one off i put her in a stall and loaded the second and the third by the time I got the door closed on the third, I could hear choking sounds coming from the first stall. And I thought I'd brought home a sick horse. Mm-hmm. And I raced back down to the stall and it was choked. She had ate the shavings pellets in the oh, stall. No. And they'd lodged in her esophagus. And when I got down to the stall, there was green stuff all over the walls. She was foaming from the nostrils. Couldn't get a vet that had a dart gun. She never had a halter on her. I snuck in the snore with her, started rubbing her on the jaw, and she let me start palpating her throat. And it probably only took 20 seconds, but it felt like a lifetime. Mm. And they came up. Anyway, so she had had a drink of water, watched her for a couple of hours. I promised her that night if she was still alive in the morning, she'd have a home for life. And, of course, she's still with me today. And I think, didn't she win something significant with the state of Wisconsin this year at the Midwest Horse Fair? Yes. Choke was Horse of the Year this year in Wisconsin by the Horse Council. Uh, She has also won America's Favorite Trail Horse Competition. Um, She has won a colt starting competition, sort of like an extreme cowboy race type deal in Belvedere, Wisconsin, uh, Illinois. And we we went down there when she was a four-year-old and she won the Colts division, which was under five. So she's done very well. So I know this is the Endurance Horse podcast, but this is the Mustang episode. So I wanted to mention about Mustang adoption and that there is an incentive for the government will give you back $1,000 in two $500 increments. Could you tell us about that program? Because I think if... Some of our listeners have thought about a Mustang for Endurance. They might feel better if they thought they would get some money to help pay for a trainer because, you know, personally, if I got a Mustang, I don't think I'd train it myself. I think I would call TJ Cliborne and say, hey, start this horse for me. Yes, they have a good program right at the moment. You have to adopt the horse, uh, and then within 60 days, you get your first check for $500. Then a year's time, you get the title, and 60 days after that, you'll get another check for $500. So that's $1,000 a little over a year. That program is only if you adopt a horse. 
It's not available for sale authority horses. Sale authority horses you can buy for $25 mm-hmm. and get the um, title straight away. Mm-hmm. But the adoption program is the one you get $1,000 for. So I think more people should be out. You know, we got 11 horses in the Tevis Cup Mustangs. Yes. Um, I think they're great. I would rather ride my Mustangs than anything else I've got. Mm-hmm. And last year, the Hagen Cup was won by M.M. Cody, which is a Mustang. Yeah. So that speaks a lot to, to that horse. But I do think, you know, folks, if you wanted to adopt a Mustang, there are so many. Every state has trainers. And in our part, you know, in Illinois, Wisconsin, Minnesota area, you'd take on more Mustangs to train, wouldn't you? If I, if I adopted a Mustang and called you up. Oh, yeah. I'd, I'd take on. I love them. Because they don't come with any problems. Mm-hmm. Domestic horses come with human problems. Mm-hmm. And it's usually the owner's fault that that horse is like that. If you get a wild horse, you've, it's just got to trust you. And then you can do anything with it. You know, I've had them jump through fire. I've had them get up in the bed of trucks, um, bow, lay down, sit like a dog. You know, any number of things. In Wisconsin, next month, September 20th, 21st, Mequon is going to have an adoption. So if somebody's listening now and they thought about adopting, what would they expect when they showed up at Mequon? Well, first of all, you've got to be approved for the adoption. So you've got to get on the BLM website and fill out the forms and become approved for the adopter. Then you can go to Mequon and you can pick out your own horse and adopt it. Then you can... Either take that horse home and do it yourself or you can send it to a trainer and get them to help you out with it, you know. What to expect from a Mustang? I think you already touched on that, but I think you're saying probably extreme loyalty and a blank slate and a pretty hardy horse. Oh, definitely. And a horse that will never fall over with you. They're the most short-footed horse I've ever ridden. And I've got six or seven here at the house right now and not one of them has ever wore shoes. Um, so they're all go bare feet. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've taken them on some rocky country in Illinois. I've taken them out west. You know, I've taken them to Texas Hill Country. Never put a shoe on their feet. So is it true that different herds that you adopt out of could have different types of horses? Like one might be a more drafty breed look to it, and some of them might be like a lighter breed? Yeah, that's true. You know, um, these horses come from all breeds that have been set free in the wild, so they could have bred anything. You can uh, do a DNA test on them in um, Texas A&M University. It costs you about 30 bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had a couple DNA tested here, and some of them go back to France mm. with the saint Francais. Um, we've had uh, some that have got Hufflinger in them, mm. some have got Draft Horse in them, mm. some have Andalusian in them, so you can, some have Paso in them, we've seen Gated Horses, we've seen Curlies come through the Mustangs, so you can give whatever you like, you can give whatever you like. So as we wrap up, TJ, you know, I'm going to provide a link in the show notes to your training, your website, True Partnership. Mm-hmm. And so can you just give us a little bit more background on you if somebody wants to contact you for a clinic? Because I know you train your Mustangs here, but you also travel to like blue chip farms and you start out their warm bloods. 
Um, they're I'm not sure which which breed of warm they're blood. They're in uh, Belgium, old ones. They're oh. in New York State. In New York, and then so also you do clinics. I I know that you travel everywhere and do clinics. So tell us a little bit more about you, and if somebody was interested in contacting you for a clinic. Right, if they're interested in a horsemanship or cult starting or problem solving clinic, they can contact me at the TJ Clibben True Partnership, um, or they can phone me at seven six five seven two nine one two one seven, or email me at terryclibben at gmail dot com. Thank you so much, and you're such a good friend for doing this for me. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Wild thing, I think I love you But I wanna know for sure Hey, this is Chris. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Endurance Horse Podcast and look for us in our Facebook group called Endurance Horse Podcast. We have many updates in there, including pictures, videos, links, and often the topics come up on there that will be in the next episode. The thing I was hoping to accomplish with episode 25 was not only just to get the word out about Mustangs that are doing well in endurance, but it was also to show you that if you've thought about a Mustang, but the thing that stops you from thinking about getting one is the initial training. Maybe you would you would love to pick out your Mustang out of a pen and adopt it right from the beginning. But that program that is $1,000 from the BLM, yes, you have to wait a year to get it, but it would sure help to go to find a Mustang trainer that will walk you through the process of finding the right Mustang for you, adopting, and then have that person train it. And so you put that money out there up front for a few months of training, maybe even a little more, and then you get that money back and you have a great little endurance horse on your hands or big one, depending on which herd you get them from. So do your homework, get knowledgeable about which regions, which HMAs are known for certain types of Mustangs, certain size, certain color, temperament, and uh, body standards. You know, some of them are, are lighter horses and smaller. Some of them are quite large and more towards the stock build. You'll find out which herds tend to have which types of horses. The next step to do would be to find a trainer in your area that would help you locate and train your Mustang. And I would do that ahead of time so that they would be ready to receive your Mustang. I think that the $1,000 program is a great idea. I know I would not personally um, have the time to take on a Mustang. I have enough horses to get conditioned. So what I was thinking, if you're like Jim and I, you're already at your horse limit, but something about these Mustangs touched your heart a little bit and you wanna help out with them, I'm gonna share with you a place in South Dakota that Jim and I took our one and only ever vacation to. We rented an RV, uh, we took our German Shepherd Darby, we took our kiddos with us and my mom, and we went out to the Dakotas for a vacation. And the one of the highlights of the trip for me, personally, was uh, Jim bought a private tour for me of the Black Hills Wild Horse Sanctuary out near Hot Springs. The Black Hills Wild Horse Sanctuary is nestled in the hills on 11,000 acres located near Hot Springs, South Dakota. 
This sanctuary provides homes for unwanted mustangs and they live freely on the range. They're divided up into separate herds and they try to keep families together that came into the place together. Bronze Warrior was one of my favorite horses that I saw out there. He's a just average size, very beautiful Appaloosa gelding and he gets to stay there with his little family. You can actually donate, which I'm gonna get into more here about that, but you can donate money directly on their website to support the horses in different herds or just a general fund. So during that trip, Jim and I got to see these horses on the 11,000 acres. They drove us around to each herd. It was a wonderful place to take a tour. So many of the horses are friendly. They're used to seeing people come out and visit. I remember one of the things when we were photographing the sulfur horses, they all came up and licked the truck and chewed on the truck that we had driven up there in. Um, they were super friendly. Bronze Warriors herd was rarely friendly. There was a Palomino in that herd that was just smitten with Jim. I highly recommend going there on a tour. Uh, you don't have to take a private tour, but we did take the private photography tour, and then you can also do a group bus tour that was $55. If you'd like to check out their, their website, it's easy to remember, wildmustangs.com. You can sponsor a Mustang, name a Mustang. You can even make a general one-time donation or you can set it up to be a recurring donation for as little as $10 a month. So if you'd like to be part of helping out Mustangs and you think, geez, I have my limit, I have two horses or one horse or five and I don't need another one, but I think it's pretty sad the condition of the way Mustangs are. Jim and I have personally been there. It's the one and only trip in 27 years we've ever taken. We also went to Crazy Horse and we went to Mount Rushmore and different things and the Buffalo Roundup, but but the Black Hills uh, Wild Horse Sanctuary just was a wonderful part of our trip. Been there personally, can highly recommend it, that the horses are gorgeous and well taken care of. So I will put a link in the show notes um, to go to wildmustangs.com, take a tour around their website, and they'll have different tabs that drop down and it can be donate or sponsor. Or if you think you, you wanna support them but you also want some merchandise or a Christmas shop early, they sell little plush horses and t-shirts and all, all sorts of different things there. So just one more time, I wanna remind you, find our Facebook group uh, called Endurance Horse Podcast on Facebook. We do share a lot of things on there that you won't hear on the podcast. There's videos, photos, links, and upcoming topics. Thank you especially to the riders and members of the Mustang Endurance Facebook group. I will include these highlights of notable performing Mustangs in endurance. Here are some that the Mustang Endurance Facebook group shared with me. MM Cody, Hagen Cup winner at Tevis 2018. Mustang Lady is a member of the AERC Hall of Fame with an astounding 5,455 miles. Mustang Lady also was in 1990 second place at Tevis. Mustang Lady in 1991 was fourth place at Tevis. And the Mustang named Robin Hood is in the AERC Hall of Fame with 16,250 miles. Last but not least is Lady Jasmine, also known as Ladybug. She has the record for the most miles in LD at 6,045 LD miles. 
Some cool facts I wanted to share with you that didn't make it into the audios. TJ and Red, the year that they competed in the Mustang Makeover, they were also chosen for the crowd favorite in the Mustang Makeover. Of course, maybe that had something to do with TJ running around wearing a Green Bay Packers jersey for the football team and also had some other Green Bay Packer items on his horse. And he and Red jumped over a sofa couch. It was a fun experience for Jim and I to follow TJ and Red on their journey. Another fun fact is that Odin and Jen, Jen is a park ranger in Almo, Idaho at the City of Rocks National Reserve and Castle Rocks State Park. Jen rides Odin around the parks in the beautiful Castle Rocks area to fulfill some aspects of her job as park ranger. Odin has a job. How cool is that? This little guy who placed last at his Mustang makeover and who was trying to buck his trainer off through the whole thing, he now has a job taking his adopter around some of the most gorgeous places in the country. He is a Mustang with a sense of humor. I have seen video of him scratching his belly on poor unsuspecting sage brushes out in the wilderness. He also helps Jen brush her teeth from time to time. Maybe if you travel out to City of Rocks National Reserve, you can see Jen riding her marvelous black Mustang across the range. The next episode of the podcast should be out soon. It is the much-awaited All Tevis 2019 episode. We will be hearing from riders, volunteers, and crew. Until then, this is Chris signing off, saying, ride far, ride well, Right often.